Good evening, Vietnam. Live from LZ Bunker. This is a Veterans Live show. I'm Ronnie Embers, served with the 101st Airborne Division from December 1967 to December 1968. And today's guest is Staff Sergeant Warren Gallion from the 4th Infantry Division. Sergeant Gallion deployed to Vietnam in 1969. He served with the Mechanized Infantry Division as, long, as well as LERPs. For those of you who are not familiar with the LERPs, they're small, well-armed reconnaissance patrols that go deep into enemy-held territory. He has some interesting stories to tell you, including different missions about tigers. And we'll get to him in just a moment, but first we'll do our Vietnam War timeline say. Okay, this date in October 14th, 1966. United States Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara in a memorandum said that the communist forces were suffering 60,000 killed per year. Yet there is no sign of an impending break in enemy morale. And it appears that he can no more replace his losses by infiltration from the North and recruitment in the South. McNamara continued, enemy forces are larger, terrorism and sabotage, especially in scope and intensity for that. But more railroads and highways have been cut. The rice crop has shrunken, and we control a little more, if any, of the population. In the countryside, the enemy almost always controls the night. The number one song in 1966 on this date was, come on, Four Tops, name it. Reach out, I'll be there. Okay. October 14th, 1967, Operation Medina was a search and destroy mission by the United States Marine Corps, 3rd Marine Division in the Highland District. The operation resulted in 50 Pavin killed and three captured, but 34 Marines were killed. Sad day. The number one song in October 1967 was my favorite song of all time over there, The Letter by the Box Tops. But I'm not putting that in there, but I love that song. Okay, now our photo segment with photos you all sent us in from the Vietnam Veterans Photo Club on Facebook. So let's go do the photos. All right, let's have photo number one. Okay, this is from Dennis Llewellyn. It's Tim Pimlot holding a tail of an NVA mortar. Very close there. In, the, in 1967, 1968, in the Central Highlands, from the 1st to the 12th Infantry, 4th ID, Company D. Uh, okay, so that was exploded already. I'm glad he wasn't holding a live one. Next photograph is from Craig Latham. All of his photographs were stolen, he says, after I came home from Vietnam. He had almost 2,000 of them, mainly because he was a combat writer and combat photographer with the 101st Airborne Division, 501st Infantry. The only way I have any now is they were published in the papers with my name on them as a byline. He would appreciate it if any of you sees any of these with his name on it to get in touch with him somehow. He would appreciate seeing them. This was from April 1971, Firebase Brick. Members of the 2nd 501st Infantry were on the way to help their brothers from their battalion fighting in the jungles. Okay, in the third, the next photograph is from Stephen Novikov. Write a letter to his mom and dad from Cameron Bay in Vietnam in August 1970. Cameron Bay was, I believe, where most of the troops from Vietnam went into. And this photo is from Jim Hollis. He's in the bed with Company B, 1st to the 26th, Big Red 1, 1st Infantry Division, taken on April 25th, 1968. Thank you, Jim. That was my 20th birthday. I appreciate it. I was still in country then. He was taken in Benoit after surgery by Fess Parker's crew. That's Fess Parker there standing on the left, the old Davy Crockett guy when we were kids. I remember that every Sunday night at 7, seven o'clock. Great photographs, thank you. Next photograph is from Dean Lose, Lance Corporal Marine Corps, Earl Dean Lose, near Way, Vietnam, July 1972. Subunit 1, First Enzerco. Field operator attached to the Vietnam, Vietnamese Marines in the spring offensive of 1972. 
Thank you all for all those photographs. Keep sending them in. You can send them to v Vietnam Veterans Photo Club. There's a special uh, place in front of the, on the top of the page to send your photos to. Okay. I'm going to bring a special guest in here, Staff Sergeant Warren Gallion of the 1st, I'm sorry, of the 4th Infantry Division, Vietnam, 1969. Good evening, Warren. Good evening, Warren. Oh, boy. Warren, can you hear us? No. Warren, can you hear us now? Oh, boy. One minute, please, Warren. Technical difficulties. I hear you. Yes, we're good. Is it? There you go, brother. Okay. So tell us about your little bio. Give us your bio. Well, to start with, I ended up growing up in a military family. My dad was a career soldier. Uh, he was. Uh, he started his army career at uh, Fort Schaffner in Hawaii, and he was uh, there when Pearl Harbor was attacked, and he ended up being an incredible witness as he was on guard duty at the officers' club there at Fort Schaffner, where he could watch the the planes uh, dive in. Uh, for myself, uh, I never really had any uh, dreams of wanting to be in the military. Uh, when I became uh, got out of high school, I started college. Uh, I was a poor student at best. Uh, there was a joke going around at the time that said I only went, made 1A in my first two years of college. And uh, unfortunately, it was on my draft card. And that was about to be true for me. Uh, so I volunteered uh, for the draft. Uh, since my dad had been an Army recruiter, I knew a little bit of how the inside worked. I knew I'd only have to be in the Army for two years instead of three. So uh, I went down to the draft board and told them they'd draft me and I could actually get an early out to get back into college. I thought I could get through with less than uh, two years of service. And they obliged me. And the next thing I knew, I was doing basic training at Fort Bliss. Uh, I was hoping that uh, I was going to be a finance clerk in Germany, but the, they told me I was going to be an 11 Bravo, sent me to Fort Polk, Louisiana to uh, infantry school. Okay, tell us about what happened there at NCO school. Why did you go to NCO school? Well, at the end, at the end of Fort uh, Polk, they uh, said that they'd introduced a, a new uh, concept that the Army had never done before, and they've never done since, but it was right during the Vietnam War. They were having a problem with uh, they, could recruit, uh, they could draft all the privates they needed, but they were running short of middle management and sergeants uh, at that time. So they started what was called an NCO school, and so... They asked if I would be a part of that. And so I did become an NCOC. Uh, they sent us to Fort Benning, Georgia. We went through some training, uh, came out as a E-5 uh, sergeant, and then was sent to Vietnam. A lot of people are surprised. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Don't pass over what they used to call you guys. Yeah, after we went through, after we got to Vietnam, uh, most people with my rank uh, had as many years in the service as I had months. And uh, most of the draftees <laughs> that I went into the Army with, uh, they were already over there, felt like that their three or four experience, months of experience on me was probably uh, more important than the training that I'd received at Fort Benning. So uh, we didn't get a lot of respect, uh, but they called us instant sergeants and shake and bake sergeants. I have not heard, I have not heard the word shake and bake in... I can't remember when. <laughs> Instant sergeants, right. right. <laughs> How long was that school? A well, I think it was 12 weeks that we had. Oh, wow. okay. And after we finished the school, uh, they sent us back to go through infantry school again as a squad leader. Uh, and so I went through uh, infantry school a second time uh, at Fort Lewis, Washington. There you go. Uh, but I give a shout out to all the NCOs, uh, NCOC uh, guys. Uh, even though people uh, didn't always say the nicest things about us and thought maybe the Army was doing the wrong thing by creating this school, there was about 26,000 of us. Uh, that's okay, man. You served, and that's all that mattered. Thank you very much. Oh, you oh, and over a, about 1,100 of their names are now on the wall there. In, in really? Wow. Out of 26,000. 
Wow, that's a lot. Thomas were killed over there. That's a lot. Okay, tell us, uh, what other units did you serve in beside the 4th? Well, as soon as I, I, all my tour in Vietnam was with the 4th Infantry Division. Uh, okay. But when I first sent me over there, my first four months, I was with a mechanized infantry. So I was with a, a 2nd Battalion, uh, 8th Infantry, uh, A Company of, of the 4th Infantry Division. And then I did six months with uh, the 4th Division, 2nd Brigade, Lurps. And at the end of the six months, I ended up going back for my last two months in Vietnam with uh, my mechanized unit with the 2nd and the 8th. Gotcha. Okay. Uh Tell us about in military operations what reconnaissance and scouting is doing. Like what what a LERP team is, the LLRP that you were part yeah. of. All right, since I've been back and done some research, I found out there's a lot of different definitions of LERPs. But brigade LERPs that we were in, we always went out on four man teams. Uh, we did have one team that actually go out and as a three man team, uh, but I always liked the fourth guy uh, along with us. Uh, and we even had one that would actually go out on occasion wearing black pajamas uh, instead of wearing an army yeah. uniform. But yeah. our main job was to go out uh, that we'd be left for four or five days, uh, four or five nights uh, out in the jungle. They would normally give us about four square kilometers. Uh, that would be our area of operation. And S2 would uh, end up telling us what they were, what they thought might be going on in the area let us get all the information we needed. I was allowed to fly over the area and uh, see it from, from the air and pick out landing zones and that type of stuff from the area. And then I would train my team and we would prepare my team and we would go out and spend the four or five days uh, watching trails, trying to gather information and uh, hopefully, you know, provide information to the larger units back. Uh, How'd you get your resupplies for food? Well, we had to carry everything for four or five days with us uh, at the really? time. So, uh, and you've heard of LERP rations, and it was kind of nice. We didn't have to wear the, carry those cans. Uh, the LERP rations were a lot lighter. Okay. All we had yep. to do was boil water and put them in, and they, they were really good uh, freeze-dried food. Wow, interesting. So what's the difference between a LRRP and an LRP? Well, I like the second R in it because that meant reconnaissance. Uh, but there are LERP teams that actually went out to, to cause havoc and, and trouble. Uh, most of my missions were uh, LRRP uh, with reconnaissance in it. So our job was mainly to gather information and not try to uh, create a fight, but uh, to gather information and, and uh, you know, help, help them be able to make decisions in the back as to what was going on. Uh, did, you have, did, did you have a capable FO with you? Uh, no, I would, I had to serve as the forward observer uh, while we were out there. So I, I was the one that would call the artillery or uh, right. airstrikes too. Yeah, we did. Airstrikes, gunships. Okay. Right. That's interesting. Very, uh, or with only four of us out there, the, our last, Thing that we want to do is fire a rifle because that gave that would give your position away. For sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, but as we joined LERPs, they gave us all the resources of uh, the army, which I was real pleased with. But we we could call in gunships, artillery, uh, uh, even Puff the Magic Dragon. You know, was at our uh, nice. Have Puff show up on Fourth of July. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's one for you. Uh, tell me about the. Uh, time you were going through the jungle your alert team and you found yourself holding a handrail yep yeah we had been uh, put out on a on a mission and uh, we started following this trail and suddenly there was an incline and as I was going up the incline I, I reached over and I grabbed and I realized I was holding on to a handrail and while I was holding <laughs> the handrail it dawned on me this is not something that you normally find out in the wild in, in the jungle <laughs> but they, they're taking some vines and, and wrapped them around so that it was easier to, to climb up this, this incline. And just about the time I realized I was uh, on an incline, my t team member that was uh, up in front of me stopped and he said, bunker. And we turned and uh, I turned around and looked and we'd already walked past two bunkers uh, uh, that w were in the, in the jungle there. Uh, Fortunately for us, it was totally empty, 
And so we spent the rest of the day uh, walking around, checking out all the bunkers. Uh, we checked to see if there were any booby traps or anything to make sure it was safe for us. Uh, we dug around, found the latrine and could see that it was all dried up, that nobody had been there in quite a while. So as the day went on, we started feeling pretty comfortable uh, in the bunker. Uh, we did find a, an American canned ham can that, where they had opened up and eaten a ham. That, that was, we used to wonder where they got American goods from. Uh, also found a box of uh, where they'd taken playing cards with uh, English instructions on uh, how to play cards. So, but really? found all this uh, <laughs> uh, in the NBA camp uh, uh, that was there. But as the day went on, we, we felt pretty comfortable that nobody had been there in a while and that we were we were probably all alone in that area and got probably a little more lax than, than we should be. But we went back down the trail a little bit and I found an area where there was a row of uh, bamboo uh, just, and so we decided that we could probably set up our camp there and we'd only be about two feet away from the trail, but we could hear what was going up and down the trail but no one would be able to see us because of the, the bamboo. And as Lerps, we always had rules. We, uh, we would always pick our night location. Uh, once we decided this is where we were gonna stay for the night, we would normally move about a hundred meters uh, away, eat supper and wait till just as it was getting dark. And then we'd move back to our night yeah. location and stay there in case anyone had spotted us uh, while uh, uh, you know, we were there. Uh, but this figured, day, I, I said, well, uh, because of that trail, I started saying, you know, if we get over there making a lot of racket trying to set up right after dark, just right there on the trail, uh, it started making sense to me that we could probably set up our night location a little bit early. So let me get let me interrupt for one second. We used to do that with a company. The chopper would bring in supplies, say it's five o'clock and it's going to get dark at seven. We would go to a, rond a rendezvous, po rendezvous point get our supplies, get our mail, get our whatever, dry socks, whatever, and then wait till like 6.30, 7 o'clock when it started to get dark and move. Now, we were moving the whole company, easy, between 80 and 120 guys, depending on the right. amount of your forces you had. But you had four guys. It seemed so, yeah. like, easy. It, seemed, it just seemed so easy for four guys to stealthily establish a position and then move another position versus – a whole company plus helicopters coming in. You know, it's like, I guess they knew where we were, but you had better luck. I think one of the things I liked about Lerps after I'd been in Mechanized, where we had to crank up the engines every four hours to uh, keep the batteries charged and everything. I, I liked the stealthness of Lerps, you know, that I could be out there and uh, four of us th mm -hmm. with three other men that I trusted and, and we could move uh, easily and quietly and, our, and just, you know, be a listening post. But this well, let's, go back, let's go back to the bamboo. I cut you off there and yeah. tell about the. Uh, well, what truth. we did was it was still about a half an hour before dark, and I and I decided that because of the bamboo, uh, I said if anyone did come up the trail and we'd be sitting there trying to set up, uh, that it yeah. that we'd probably make too much noise, and if anybody was going to be there, they would be on the trail, and we were pretty much hidden from the from the trail behind the bamboo. So right. we went ahead and set our poncho cover up inside the uh, overhang of the, of the bamboo. One of my guys sat down and uh, started boiling some water with a little piece of C4. Uh, we used uh, the plastic explosive, that C4, we'd roll it into about the size of a small marble and we could light it on fire and cook with it. The only downside to it is you couldn't put it out once it started burning. So. Uh, uh, so that's why we didn't use large pieces of it. We did, normally had one, so it burned out pretty fast. Mm -hmm. and we didn't want the flame to be seen. So, and then I decided that I would go put my Claymore mine out on the trail. So I had to, I put the Claymore under my armpit and I'm walking backwards, putting the uh, string and the wire out uh, so I could get to the trail. And I'm looking back at my guys one of them suddenly said, Sarge, you know, kind of real quietly. I wasn't sure if I felt it or heard it, but uh, he, he pointed and I turned and looked and here was uh, some NVA soldiers. They weren't walking on the trail where they were supposed to be. Uh, they were off in the, <laughs> the jungles. They were smart. <laughs> they, they were walking right at me and I, I dropped to my knees 
And uh, about that time is when I realized that I, I didn't even bring my rifle with me. And I'm looking back over there at the, the uh, bamboo and that poncho cover is flopping in the wind and looked like a giant neon sign to me, you know, saying, look, look here. And my other guy was uh, wrapped himself all around the fire so that nobody could see his, uh, see, see the flame. And my other two guys just uh, was watching guard. And I'm just standing there on my knees uh, uh, out, out in the open. I do have camouflage, you know, fatigues on. I felt like a, a little rabbit. I wasn't exactly sure at what point I was going to get up and run. And I, I knew I'd be seen as soon as I run to go back to get my rifle. And so I'm sitting there totally unarmed on my knees. And they get within about uh, 30, 25 feet of me. And suddenly they turn and start going down the hill. And so I just sat there and watched uh, about 20 NVA soldiers uh, pass within about 20 feet of me going, going down the, the hill. But apparently they'd been going all day. Most of them had huge packs on their back. Some of them even had their rifles slung across their back. And they were just looking in the ground, huffing and puffing and, and moving down the hillside. I, I did later find out that if we'd continued down the trail, there used to be a, a log that crossed a, a stream uh, a little bit further down the trail. And apparently uh, we had taken out the log and apparently they figured out that they could take a shortcut and walk down the stream and you could wade across. Uh, uh, so they, the reason they were leaving the trail and ended up walking out there in the, in the jungle with me. But uh, as soon as uh, the last guy passed, I ran back over, we got on the radio. And as I said, we, we had access. Uh, uh, normally, uh, before we even went out on a mission, we normally had eight uh, artillery points marked that we could fire with just a name, so we didn't even have to give the coordinates or anything. So yeah, I, yeah. I called in. Uh, they started firing artillery down in the direction where they went. And for us, we were nervous that the artillery was going to make them run back up to where we were. Uh, so uh, in just a little bit, they sent me a gunship out uh, to help support me. The gunship asked me to pop smoke. I told them, I don't think so, because I didn't really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want anybody else to know where I'm at. <laughs> uh, uh, we did have things that we called toys. It was we, we did have some interesting things as lerps. <clears throat> I had what was a little pin flare, and it, it was not much bigger than a, in a fountain pen. And you could pull the the clip down, and it it pretty much uh, to to this day I can't tell you exactly what it was, but it fired like probably a little twenty two caliber uh, round that was a tracer, and anyway it sent a little red uh, uh, trace uh, shot up up, and then the uh, gunship ended up saying, "Okay, I've got you spotted," and so he ended up flying, and he ended up just covering the gunship right above our, uh, our bamboo cover and it opened up the mini guns and, and just kind of fired everything that was down in front of us probably for about a mile. But that is uh, interesting. Sorry, that's interesting. I, I never knew about that little pen, pen flare. Yeah. But suddenly when he started firing the, those mini guns, uh, the casing started coming out and they ended up landing in the bamboo <laughs> up front. And we for sure thought that uh, we were going to hit, we were being hit by friendly fire <laughs> and listening to those mini guns and all of a sudden hearing that that stuff hit our, uh, our, our bamboo. Uh, but after all of that, uh, by that time it was getting dark and uh, we called in and they said, uh, unless things got more serious, they didn't really want to do a night extraction. Right. So we had to stay there for the rest of the night. We didn't sleep very much. Uh, the next morning, uh, we kind of went in the opposite direction, found us a, a, a place where we could get extracted from. We were told that they were going to send a platoon, a platoon of infantry soldiers in to go in and uh, check it out. Never did really hear what, what became of, uh, of that. Okay, here we're going to do some photos now. You ready for this, Warren? Sure, let's Can do you, it. Please describe what's going on in these photographs. Thank you. First photograph. Yes. Uh, 
my LERP unit, our, our home base was at Mary Lou, just outside of Kantum, uh, Vietnam. And this was our sign for uh, LERPs. And you notice it only had the LRP, but I, I was an LRRP. That's okay. But with a with a fourth infantry, but this was the sign that designated our, our area. All right. Uh, so Mary Lou was a name of a LZ. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Never heard of that one. Okay. Next one. Next picture, please. Well, we did have some benefits as LERPs uh, just beyond that sign. Uh, we had our tents that we got to stay in between uh, missions. We had our own bunker bar where we had some fans and uh, uh, we were able to keep some ice and, and drinks and uh, some, some nice uh, benefits for between missions. And out in the middle, we had the volleyball court. So we uh, were able to play volleyball and uh, exercise that way. Okay, wait, uh, Bunker Bar. I think we're going to change the name of this LZ Bunker to LZ Bunker Bar. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good, Bunker Bar. Yeah, when the donut okay. dollies come, they'd be telling, they'd warn us, don't, don't take those donut dollies down to the Bunker Bar. <laughs> there you go. This is a, this is a photograph of actually Myself slamming one down at right. with B Company, first to the 502nd Infantry. So it looks like volleyball was pretty uh, popular in Vietnam yes. at the base camps. There you go. Okay, talk about this uh, next photograph. Oh, yeah, this is when I was in mechanized infantry. So one of our LZs, uh, uh, this was our, our the bathroom out there. I always like to tell people, I said, I haven't seen such scenic bathrooms since I left Vietnam. So, Is that the one somebody sitting on the throne? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Next photo. <laughs> Is this you, you handsome that's, devil? That, that's me uh, in LERPs. Uh, this is, uh, we were one of the groups that were allowed to wear flower fatigues. And uh, this is a tiger stripe. The Arvin soldiers generally wore the... Uh, tiger stripes, so this was a more of a Vietnamese uh, uh, uniform. Uh, I carried a CAR-15 uh, uh, rifle with me on all my LERP missions, uh, which you can see me with there. It's pretty much has the same mechanics as a uh, M16. Uh, so it, used, it just used the M16 ammo and same cartridge, but it had a collapsible uh, butt to it and uh, it was sawed off on the front, not quite as big. So it was only about two feet long and made it real easy to uh, to move it through the jungles. And then yeah, maneuverable. There you I, go. I, I also, uh, let's see if you, I can get this. Uh, How about that hat up there? Yeah, what's up with that hat? Uh, as LERPs, this was part of our uniform, was to wear the Australian bush cap. And we uh, we took a lot of pride in, in our uniform. That's the same hat? This is the same hat, yes. Photograph, <laughs> It's 50 years old. It's not... Uh, not quite as flexible as it used to be, but uh, there you go. Well, that's really nice to have that. They had a great souvenir for you. Yes. Oh my goodness! All right, there you go. Who's this? Well, Who's that's this handsome devil uh, with with my car fifteen. You can kind of see the sawed off, uh, or it's not yeah. really off, but it has a shorter barrel that's made that way. And uh, a little, the plastic around the barrel is a little bit is round and a little bit smaller than what was on an M sixteen. But I am wearing the flower fatigues. The army had come out with the flower fatigues. It's kind of funny. I was uh, in 1969 at home. I, I always wore uh, pretty conservative clothing. And I was always uh, kind of curious what people were going to think if I sent a picture home with me wearing what I said was a clown suit, you know, that I had I had no idea that we were going to be uh, fashion uh, setters uh, or uh for the rest of the country. Uh, uh, talk about fashion. What's with that hair? Oh yeah, it was uh, what, my dad. What kind of were you with, man? We could never have hair like that. Yeah. Well, with my dad being a master sergeant, uh, as growing up, my hair was uh, was always a burr or a flat top. Yeah, right. High school. <laughs> Until I got in the army and uh, uh, I was in LERPs and the barbers were kind of far and few between. <laughs> That was, that was uh, great hair. My hair grow out. That was really good hair. All right, I got one more picture here. All right, what's this here? Yeah, this was in my mechanized unit. This was, uh, I've been there about three months. Uh, one evening, we had, uh, uh, my PC was setting out on the end of the runway at LZ Bass. Uh, 
just uh, it was just west of uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, just yeah, just west of uh, Contum. Uh, my machine gunner was on uh, guard duty. He had an M60 right next uh, next to the APC, you know, mounted on the, the ground. And he was on guard and he yelled that he saw a trip flare. And then he said, I see the SOB. And he started, he fired all the rounds that we had on the 50 caliber. And then he jumped off the APC and ran over and to his M60 where he could uh, fire. And this woke me up. I was sleeping behind the track. I jumped up and I ran over to the edge and looked down and I could see the trip flare going off, but I couldn't see anyone. And then from LZ Bass, they started firing parachute flares for us, which would light the place up like daytime. And uh, I never, never did see anyone down there. And the next thing we knew, I, I turned around and the APC was on fire. And uh, it makes for a better story if we say they got hit by an MS, uh, uh, a B-40 rocket. But uh, I think the truth is that uh, one of those parachute flares ended up going down into the hatch. Really? And caught the uh, ammo oh, on fire. Crazy. The thing that spectacular fire burned all night. Uh, uh, but every year when I start paying my taxes, I start wondering if I've paid for that APC yet. You know. I don't think so. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Um, what was your concern about with the resupply? Oh, what went up in the fire? <laughs> well, you know, I guess I should have been concerned that I lost my track, all of our ammo, everything else. But we'd just been resupplied that day, and we had. We just had a new cases of beer and soda, and uh, and I had a brand new air mattress, and all that stuff got burnt, and that was a concern for the night. That's how it goes, man. Good stories, left and right. Okay, I love that, that picture of that restroom. That was really interesting. Yes. Tell us what happened with your friend Gibson on the first night in the field. Well, again, you know, I, I was a brand new sergeant, and we just uh, – came to Vietnam. I'd been in country for a couple of weeks because you had to go through the reception center and everything. And they finally sent, sent us out to Mary Lou and uh, the tracks finally came out, picked us up and we went through the gates and you realize for the first time you're, uh, uh, there's not any guards out there, uh, you know, watching over you that you're just yeah, you're on patrol. nothing but you and your rifle and the guys are with, but between you and uh, the enemy. And they take us out to the, the camp that night. And I'm introduced to all my, uh, well, first, the experience of just riding that APC. Uh, in training, we always rode inside, but we called them death boxes because those B-40 rockets could hit right. the side and it would throw a molten uh, metal all inside. So we ended up riding on top. And there's kind of an art to riding on top of it. So uh, uh, I came in with my friend, Sergeant Frederick, who had been through NCO school with me. We were both sent out at the same time. And we're trying to ride on top of that uh, APC. And it's we're taking both, trying to figure out how to hold our rifle and use both hands to hold on to keep from uh, getting uh, shaken off uh, the, the track. So that, it was all new. Everything was new uh, and uh, a little, little scary and wondering if I could really uh, uh, be a good sergeant uh, to these guys out in the field. And I'm introduced to my new squad. And the very first thing they tell me is they introduced me to uh, uh, one of my men, Gibson. And he was a big old guy. He had a fist that was probably as big as both my fists uh, together. And they started telling me that a couple of weeks before they'd been out on patrol and uh, they were away from the APCs that they just, and they were out overnight. And said so, uh, Gibson looked up and there was a tiger right in his face. And he took his fist and he, he hit the tiger uh, right in the jaw. He said the tiger turned around <laughs> and left. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Gibson. Thank you. And, and I'm thinking, you know, like uh, here I am, a brand new sergeant in country, you know, and as if I didn't have anything to worry about. You're telling me about people, uh, you know, that I got to worry about tigers, uh, you know, in Vietnam. Okay. Very with, that, with that in mind, let's roll to the next friend with the tiger. Yeah. Well, that, that very that very night, even though they knew that the tiger was in the area, a tiger did come back and actually take one of the guys away. And so this is something I'm learning my first night. Like, I, I, I'm trying to make sure I can deal with the enemy and now I'm learning we may have tigers to, to deal with as well. What do you but, mean took him away? Huh? Well, what do you mean they, took they, him they, away? But he just, 
the tiger came in and killed the killed this guy. Uh, but where was he? On like on the perimeter or something? Or uh, yeah, it was just a platoon. You know that they were uh, in in a little circle, right? Uh, out in the field. And nobody heard this. And this was before I arrived. You know, a couple of oh, months. Oh, okay. Ago. Yeah. But, but he came in and and grabbed one of the guys and actually killed him. So. So my very first night there, I'm hearing about a guy getting killed by a tiger, and then my guy punched the tiger, you know, that, that, that survived. <laughs> so who were you fighting? What's that? Who were you fighting? The tigers or the <laughs> wow, yeah, you know what I mean? I to wonder, you know, it's like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through a year of this. Uh, I got something for you. Um, at LZ Sally, we had these little bunkers we used to, our own personal bunkers. It's like building a coffin. It had sandbags on three sides. And they had some of these uh, fence posts across the top with little uh, cue decking. And you put sandbags on the top. So you had like a casket with the end open and you would crawl in feet first and right. go to sleep. Or head first if you want, I guess it'd be the smarter way because any shrapnel could hit your head at the end. This guy woke up with a snake on his chest and he had a heart attack and died. That was the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, that was like, there were more problems with leeches, step and a half snakes, the old bamboo viper, uh, malaria, they had uh, tigers, they had, uh, well, uh, these rats, the rats were the biggest cats. Uh, there was more going on in Vietnam with uh, disease and everything else, can't drink the water. Uh, it was crazy besides being shot at. That's right. We, yeah, but between missions, we dealt with the rats that lived in the floor of our tent there in Lurps. Yeah. And you're right. We seemed like some of them were as big as, uh, as cats. Uh, How about the kids? How about the kids used to play with the snakes? Yeah, we, uh, I've seen the mountain yard kids go over there though. Uh, we had those bamboo vipers and we were told that they were super poison. They said if one bit you, you couldn't even finish a cigarette before you'd be dead. And, um, but I, I've seen the mountain yard kids go there and take sticks and pull them out. Uh, so they were not, they, the snakes didn't appear to be real aggressive, but we were afraid of them. Oh, I, I looked sure. at a quick story you haven't heard that when I was in Lerps, we were sitting, uh, we'd sleep shoulder to shoulder. So all four of us, we, we had our feet. We're, it was in the middle of the night and all of a sudden we could hear the, the leaves rattling down at the base of our feet. And it just sounded like a snake, you know, crawling through. And the last thing that we wanted to do was turn on a light or anything uh, when there was only four of us and uh, we were trying to be stealth. Uh, but it just really got to all of us that we could hear these leaves rattling, you know, just a foot away from our feet. <laughs> and so one of the guys finally got up, took a match, and he leaned up there, struck a match and for just a second and looked down there and it, and it turned out it was these huge old army ants and it, they were just all in a column uh, just walking <laughs> down by our feet. But we well, felt sure we had a big old snake. <laughs> all right. I got a story from, uh, and this was not programmed, about the, with a mechanized unit in the rubber plantation, the Michelin rubber plantation, northwest of Coochie. We were up there patrolling with the 25th. And what happened, uh, we'd be sitting on top of the APCs and they would hit a tree and these red ants would come down on us. I got to tell you, man, people never got naked faster than anything. Oh, yeah. They would bite you and get in your belt line, get up your armpits. And they were crazy. It was like the worst, really. I mean, I, was, I think that was like the worst experience I had except one, which is sad, but that was not good. Red, red ants, army ants of Vietnam were like, oh, not, yeah. not it was great fun if it was the other track. You know, it was fun to watch the guys. Yeah, but yes, it's just a little tapling, and it like shook the whole thing. Big deal, and boom, came yeah, down. Those ants had fall out of the tree. They were, they were, they hurt too. There you go. Okay, um, tell us about the bad news that you didn't hear about landing on the moon. Well, actually, uh, when I, I was on alert mission, and we'd been out for four or five days, and. Uh, We'd really gone out a pretty long ways. They told us that we only could be uh, the 175 uh, guns were the only things that could reach us. And we were uh, a little nervous about that. And, and it would take the helicopters about 10 minutes to, to get to us. And 
but we were we were a long long ways out, and we were looking for a, where there at one time had been an NVA hospital, and we found the area, but it had all grown over and it didn't look like it had been used in in quite a while. But sat down for a night, and we we all laid down. Uh, uh, we, uh, I did hear, we did hear uh, AK-47 fire uh, a pretty good ways away. It wasn't threatening to us, but since we were supposed to be the only friendlies in the area, we ended up having those uh, 175 millimeter guns fire some rounds uh, over in the direction of where the rifle uh, fire was. And then, then we kind of laid down to spend the night. Uh, and when it was my, when I finished my guard duty, we had to call in every hour to, uh, uh, give them a situation report on, on how we were doing. And so I called in my report and sometimes we'd give cryptic messages back and forth. And so, uh, the guy that was on the other end of the phone was in, lived in the same, uh, bunker or in the, not bunker, but the same tent that I did with all those rats that lived in the floorboard. And we had, uh, I'd written my parents and they'd sent me some of these huge rat traps. And we were setting those rat traps uh, in there and we killed about 10 big old rats. And he had, uh, the guy on the radio with me, he'd, he'd been helping me uh, kill rats in, in our tent. And anyway, he left me a message. He said, uh, he said, uh, they've landed and just as they, just as they expected, it's made out of cheese. <laughs> was his code? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking like I, I what he meant by that, and I'm going like, well, you know, we were putting cheese in those traps, and and, it, and we probably killed some more rats in our tent, you know. And I'm going like, man, this is uh, what a giant leap for mankind, you know. That well, we, he was trying to tell you that the United States is landing on the moon. <laughs> yes. What did he say again? He said uh, they've landed, and just as they expected, it was made out of cheese. <laughs> Oh, so had, had I been aware that we even had men going to the moon, I, I, I would have figured it out, you know. Right, gotcha. But, but, but I went and I went back to sleep and the next guy was on guard duty and at the end of his hour, he, <laughs> he called in and then he turned around and he woke me up and he said, hey, Sarge, they just told me we've landed a man on the moon. <laughs> there you go. Hey, let me ask you a question a little more serious here. You ever get ambushed while on your APCs? I We, we did get ambushed. Uh, uh, that was something that was always a pretty serious. One of the concerns, one of the things I liked about being in LERPs was that this, the stealthness, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we, those APCs, we had to keep them cranked up, those diesel engines. Uh, yeah, it made a lot of noise. Uh, there, we, it was no secret where we were and what we were doing. And right. even though we had a lot of firepower and uh, we, uh, it was probably pretty scary for the enemy to, uh, to approach us. Uh, they, they knew what they were dealing with before, uh, you know, they got to fight on their terms. They got you. Okay. But, uh, what, what's up there? What happened with this uh, theory, but I guess turned into reality about LERPs becoming rangers when getting orders to go back home? Yes. Uh, when, when I first, uh, I'd gone back into base camp and I'd gone to some classes. And while I was there, I ended up being recruited uh, for uh, LERPs. And it sounded like a, a, a good idea to me. And one of the commitments that they said is uh, all you have to do is run missions for six months. And I was probably in the middle of April. So I'm going like, you know, by the end of September, I will have finished doing all my six months of uh, uh, missions on these four man teams. And then they said, after that, you'll still stay with the, the brigade verbs, but you'll mentor the, the newer guys and help them pack and, you know, pass along tips and information, you know, that you, you have from your experience. Right. So that, that sounded great to me. Well, just as I finished my six months, uh, they came in and said they were disbanding the second brigade LERPs. And I, I really had no idea what was going on. Uh, but captain street who was in charge of the LERPs at the time tried to take me and one other guy. Uh, and we went to LZ heartbreak, which was an Arvin, uh, camp and, so we were, there were only three U.S. soldiers there. And so I, I was basically the sergeant, the U.S. sergeant in charge of, uh, of that camp. And there's some interesting stories too. That's where I got to learn to 
burn the poop and, and do everything else. Uh, oh, yeah, got a kerosene off. I got you, yeah. That was, that was pleasant duty. But uh, but at, at, at that point, they uh, finally told Captain Street that he had to go back to a, a combat unit, and they couldn't protect me any longer, and I was told that I needed to return to uh, the 2nd and the 8th, uh, where I come from prior to... Uh, and when they sent me back into base camp and I started learning uh, that the second and the eighth, they were, uh, A Company was in a big mess. Uh, Sergeant Prowl, who uh, recommended me for- Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a driver in the second platoon. Uh, he ended up getting very seriously wounded just a, a week or two before I ended up uh, getting out. I, as I was preparing to go out, I found that, that the uh, Shorty had been my driver uh, in my first four months there. Had just been killed the week before. Uh, oh my goodness, had a whole bunch of serious my, stuff going on. My medic, uh, who served with me in the first platoon, Doc Cressman, you know, had gotten shot with a 51 caliber in his arm, and uh, he, it was a million dollar wound for him, and he got to go home. And so I, I was pretty upset that they were sending me back out into, into this mess. And while I was going back out to my unit in, in the jungle, they, uh, the driver of the deuce nap that I was on told me that uh, they just got word that the, my unit was in contact and we weren't sure whether we were going to be able to make it all the way out there. Uh, but as the day went on, we, we did make it on out there. Uh, when I finally arrived, uh, I talked to uh, Captain Bates, who was uh, in charge of A Company at, at that point, and he told me... Uh, that we were uh, against an unknown size force, which just about drove me crazy because- That's not helpful. Yeah, that's not helpful at all. <laughs> it felt like that was information we were trying to gather for them. Right, to, yeah. To, to give yeah. them. And uh, then I found out that the contact that they had made involved uh, uh, Sergeant Frederick, who is the guy that I came into the unit with. Uh, he, he took a sunken chest wound. Uh, he, was, he was carrying an M79 grenade launcher uh, he had a vest with grenades on, and the, the bullet hit grenades uh, and uh, ricocheted into his chest and came out under his uh, armpit. Uh, Sergeant Fox, who was still there, told me he did, he really didn't think Frederick was uh, was going to make it. Uh, out of the squad, the, uh, the the medic was wounded, and uh, the uh, radio guy was also killed uh, in that same same action. So three three guys, including, you know, Sergeant Frederick, uh, had just left that uh, squad. And then uh, as, as upset as I was that I even had to be out there when I thought I was not supposed to have to do any more. Uh, right, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Captain Bates told me that I was gonna be Frederick's replacement. So I inherited a squad that uh, had a worse day than I had. Uh, and we, uh, we ended up going through uh, several weeks uh, still of, of some uh, pretty heavy fighting in that area. Uh, on November 2nd. Well, yeah. that, that, uh, that draws a point, yeah. You know, it's amazing how sometimes you think things are going to calm down or they are calm down, and then you, all of a sudden, it, it gets so, people you, you, you people are getting hit you don't know where they're getting hit from they're being evacuated you're losing guys new guys are coming in you, you don't know what's going on with anything like that yeah. but i'll tell you what let, let's get to the humble side of yourself the best we can and tell us about the situation when you were awarded the bronze star well um, it, it was on uh november 2nd we were told that we were going to pull out on patrol and so I was told that my APC would be the uh, point APC, but fortunately at the time we had two tanks that were attached to our unit and they always went first. So I was glad that we had uh, two, two APCs. Uh, from some of the things I was telling you about Barry Prowl and uh, the things that had gone on in just the prior weeks, we had, we had several APCs that were out of commission and so we had a bunch of guys from second platoon actually riding on the outside of the, the tanks. And I was following the tanks uh, on my APC. Uh, we were uh, suddenly the tank in front of me was uh, was hit. Uh, 
All I saw was a big mushroom cloud form over the, the tank. I couldn't imagine what it was. I was wondering, like, was it a 122 rocket <laughs> fired right in <laughs> directly into the tank? Uh, but anyway, this, the mushroom cloud just formed and I saw the barrel of the, the tank just swerve off in, into one direction. And I knew we were in line next to be hit. My driver first, he turned to the right and we started firing. I realized that was an open field and that the ambush had come from the left. So I, I got Franklin to turn the track back. And uh, so we were pointed toward the direction of the ambush and we opened up. Uh, the platoon sergeant was riding on my track that uh, day, uh, Sergeant Poole. And so he was behind the 50 caliber and I was right next to him, uh, sitting beside him. Our, we fired our M16s. Uh, so they ended up getting so hot that we called it cooking off uh, after the rifle gets so hot. Right. Yeah, uh, sure. The, the, the bullet doesn't even uh, chamber, you know, the round. And so you're holding it away from you because you don't want it to explode, you know, in your face. But just the heat, uh, it's, uh, it's cooking. You don't even have to pull the trigger anymore. And the same I thing. Remember, excuse me. I haven't heard that one in a while either. Cooking off. Yeah. <laughs> in a few years since I heard that. Yeah. You're right, though. That's it. The, my, the platoon sergeant was firing the 50 caliber. We fired so many rounds through that. At the tank appeared to be dead in front of us. Uh, the 50 caliber got to the point where the, the barrel was just totally red, and a driver got up and he was uh, putting uh, an oily rag, slapping it, you know, trying to cool the barrel down uh, to keep it from warping and uh, trying to keep it in operation. Uh, but we ended up sitting there with, uh, uh, it, uh, I kept telling the platoon sergeant, I said, tell the, tell the captain to flank the ambush, you know, that we needed some help uh, from the side. And they said, well, we're getting air support. Uh, and so we were sitting there and it, we were just pretty much sitting there going to be dead in the water and uh, just a little bit. I, I noticed that some of the guys on the 2nd platoon had been hurt and I told uh, my medic, I said, there's some guys hurt up there and he grabbed his medical bag and he ran up to the, to the tank. And uh, I, I saw him go up there and then he kind of disappeared. And then uh, a little bit later when I realized we didn't have any other rifles, I knew the guys were up there on the, had been wounded on the tank. So I jumped off the tank. There was actually a, a guy on the ground right in front of our track. Uh, and I grabbed his rifle. It had love beads on it, something from the late '60s. There you uh, go. And then I went on up to the tank, and uh, there we had two or three other guys that had been wounded that were just kind of hugging the side of the tank. And I grabbed like two more rifles, and I brought three rifles uh, back to the APC, and uh, we were able to continue firing until the, we got a little bit of air support. Uh, there you go. And then a little, and a few minutes later, the tanks actually started up and we were able to pull out and go through the clearing. And then the captain came and told me that uh, uh, my medic uh, had a, a small flesh wound on the side of his head, you know, where he'd gotten hit with a round. Uh, right. But he said he did, uh, he saved the life of the, the tank driver. Uh, and some of the guys that were uh, on the tank, but they all got uh, dusted off. And so we're out in the open field and we're sitting here trying to reload all of our uh, magazines and uh, uh, get bring ammo back up from inside to the top or uh, in case we were uh, still in danger. Uh, but it, uh, it turned out to be a, a pretty uh, scary Sunday morning uh, for me. Uh, I, I didn't think too much more about it but after i'd been home for about uh it was in i went home in december and in july my mom called me and told me said there's someone from the uh reserve unit uh here at herzog field wants you to a colonel wants you to call them and i started panicking thinking you know like <laughs> i said I, I i've done i did two years active duty we were supposed to do four years in active duty we weren't supposed to have to do any uh uh, other uh, reserve duty or anything. And I'm thinking like, oh, what kind of paper snafu has there been? And, you know, I, I've got to go back in or do something. And uh, I, I was really panicking about it. And he ended up, uh, when I finally did call him, uh, 
he, he wanted to know if I could be out at, uh, at the reserve unit on Sunday. And he said he wanted to present me with my uh, Bronze Star with V device. I said I wasn't aware, uh, that I had uh, been awarded. Uh, very nice. Bronze. Thank you. Um, That's very good. My, my concern was uh, I'd had seven months to let my hair finally grow out. And I, forget, I was beginning to look like I was <laughs> in the 70s. I had my sideburns and everything. Uh, so I, and I uh, asked the colonel, I said, well, can I accept it in civilian clothes? And then he asked me, he said, well, are you not proud of the uniform? And I, I said, well, actually, you know, on the contrary, you know, I, I said, I, I really want to honor the uniform, but I don't really want to get a regulation haircut <laughs> again to, to, to go out and accept. The, so he said, no, it'll be fine. You can accept it in uh, civilian clothes. And so I kind of hung up at that point and I said, I still didn't know what I'd done to uh, deserve a bronze star. Uh, but my uh, mom and dad were able to go with me and some friends, we went out and it, it was uh, presented to me. Yeah, congratulations for that. Thank you for your service. And thank you for a great show tonight, uh, Warren. We'll see you soon. God, God right. bless you. Talk, talk about your website real quick. Uh, yes, I, I do have a website. It's at www. And it's my first initial W and then my last name, Galleon, uh, com slash Vietnam. And I, I first wrote most of my stories for my kids. Uh, and I ended up being someone that was an early adopter of the internet. And I finally put my stories out on the internet and it allowed me to, uh, end up getting in touch with a lot of the men. Uh, yeah, that's were, right. That's what happens. That's why we did this page. That's why my son Matthew suggested doing this. So it's www.warrengallion slash Vietnam. Yeah, it's just wgallion.com. Wgallion. All right. W, 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 w. Wgallion slash Vietnam.com. It's dot com slash Vietnam. <laughs> All right. Well, well, it'll be in the, on our website. Or, if, or, if, you, if you Google Warren Galleon Vietnam, it'll come up. <laughs> okay, sir. Thank you very much. God bless you. All right. Well, thank good night. You do. You got it. Amen. Okay, this is sound off time. We got questions or comments from any of our viewers. Let's have. Hello, sound off time, Hudson Valley Web TV. Great show, keep up the good work and thank you to all you veterans. Amen to the veterans. Next comment. Wild, from Wild Man Motivation. Great photos, Warren, excellent episode. Very nice. Next, from Joe Robbie. This is what we're interested in hearing from, the common soldier. Amen, we've heard the BS from the brass. The BS is in the brass. Amen, Joe. Thank you. Okay. In the 11th cab, we called the 113s the coffin. What's that, a track? Was that APC? I'm not a mech guy. Next question. Harry, how you doing, bud? At least we didn't have the Tigers to deal with. Well, yeah, Harry, we had other. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. We had some other things to deal with. Everybody had their own. Okay, Marie Kenneman, Kenimer. This is a great story learning. Amen to that. Thank you, sister. Lee Blanchette, I love hearing your stories that are heartbreaking, but show the bravest these young kids had. You know something? You know you're right. And yet I'm talking this stuff and we're doing this stuff. And I'm 72 and I'm thinking like I'm 19. Yeah, like absolutely right. Bunch of kids. You see the pictures? All kids. Thank you, Lisa, for them insight. And our last one is from Deborah Kelsch. Thank you, gentlemen, for your heartfelt memories and words. You are both wonderful historians. Thank you for your service for your country. Thank you, Deborah. Appreciate it. And keep staying in touch with that Vietnam Veterans Photo Club. Okay. Thank you very much for listening tonight. Going to sign off from Elsie Bunker. To all my veteran friends, other veterans, family and friends, and anyone else who's watching, thank you very much. God bless you, and welcome home.